1: and enjoy the show. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 18 of Horror Hill. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and see? Change doesn't always have to be a bad thing. We're almost to the home stretch of finishing out Season 6, and no one has died. Well, I mean that there's no concrete proof that anyone has died as a result of this show, and that's good enough for me. and that brings us to today's stories tonight's two tales are pretty intense friends much like my introduction this evening and of course you know what's skulking just around the proverbial bend the omnipresent ad break you're listening to the standard edition of this program Now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. And now, from author Josh Hill, I give you, The Cycle Continues. Thanks, Mom. Talk to you later. Love ya. I hung up the phone and smiled, dialing my friend's number. Hey, Mike, I just got some birthday money for my mom. You wanna get high tonight? I said into the phone excitedly. Nah, man, I got that new job I told you about and I'm not trying to get fired again, Mike grumbled. Dude, you're a fucking mall Santa and Christmas isn't for another two weeks. There's plenty of time to pick up some shifts, I replied, annoyed. I'm not fucking this up, bro. Call me back after Christmas time and we'll get high as fuck, Mike uttered. Whatever. I sighed, hanging up the phone. I met up with my dealer later that night. ''I need something new, man. This doesn't do shit to me,'' I said as I tossed the baggie of cocaine back to my dealer. ''All I got, man,'' he replied, his brown front tooth wobbling as he leaned over to pick it up. ''Whatever,'' I said through gritted teeth. I turned around and headed towards my flat. I fumbled my key into the lock and rushed inside to my laptop. I flung it open and began to research any new way I could get high. I had done nearly everything at that point. After hours of searching, I came across a thread on some sketchy website with a lot of pop-up ads. ''What drug gave you the craziest trip?'' asked user JamesT20. I scrolled and scrolled past tons of stories about drugs I had tried a hundred times. When I was about to slam my laptop shut in frustration, one reply caught my eye. A trip that I never came back from. Posted by user JP. The post described a mind-altering, time-bending hallucinatory trip straight out of fiction. I scoffed and went to bed thinking about the bullshit story I'd just read. That night, I dreamt of meeting JP. JP. He was an older man, maybe mid-70s, with a long gray beard sitting on a mattress with no sheets in a dimly lit room. The room had yellow stains on the walls where the brown wallpaper had been torn away, and parts of the ceiling were empty, exposing framing and ventilation. There was garbage, rotting food and clothes strewn about, and a voice was repeatedly shouting, NO! I turned around to see where the voice was coming from and woke up. It was 4pm. I had slept for over 15 hours. What the fuck? I said to myself under my breath. Although I didn't believe JP's story, I wanted to. I opened up my laptop and his comment was still open. I clicked on his profile. The post I had read was his final post, but he had a lengthy post history. Through my research, I found that his name was John Paul, and he has had more experience with drugs than even I did. I scrolled through more and more of his posts until I found one about rental prices in Virginia. I live in Virginia. I furrowed my brow and clicked on the post. JP was asking about rent prices in a town called Acton, not far from mine. I sat up in my chair and opened a new tab in my browser. I typed Acton Town Directory into the search bar. I opened the City of Acton website and clicked on the Residents tab. I searched John Paul and found that there were two. One was born on September 6, 1992 and lived at 23 Burnsburg Crescent, and one was born on December 11, 1946, and lived at 113 Werner Drive. Guided by impulsivity and a need to chase a new high, I hopped into my beat-up pickup truck and drove to Acton. Turn left in half a mile, and the destination will be on your right, my phone told me. I stared in awe at the enormous house when my phone told me I had arrived. I rang the doorbell and saw the camera light on the doorbell illuminate. Who are you? A woman's voice asked through the speaker on the doorbell. I'm looking for John Paul, I uttered. Are you one of his patients? The woman asked. Uh, no, I just had a question about a post I saw on... I was interrupted by a man's voice coming out of the speaker. Get out of here, you dirty fucking junkie! The voice shouted. I stumbled backward and almost tripped on my feet. I went back to my truck and hopped in, stunned by my interaction. I typed in the address of the older John Paul and started to drive. Arrived, my phone told me as I was driving by a rundown looking house with a small garage. I approached and knocked on the door. It shook violently with each knock. A short, skinny man, maybe mid-forties, opened the door and said, "'What you want?' in an unfriendly tone. "'Is John Paul here?' I gulped. "'Why, you a son or something?' the man asked. "'No, I just have some questions,' I responded. "'You police?' he asked hastily. "'No, I have some questions about drugs?' I'm looking for something he mentioned in an online post." The man glared at me for a few seconds and then moved aside and let me in. First door on your left!' He pointed a shaking, frail finger with long, yellow nails. Before entering the room, I was gagging on the smell emanating from it. A bald man was lying on a mattress with no sheets, facing the wall. A single light bulb was in the middle of the room, shining a dim, yellowish light on the rotting food and clothes on the room floor. The man turned and sat up, running his fingers through his long, gray beard. Not again, he muttered, his eyes meeting mine. I have some questions. I stopped when JP put his finger to his lips, shushing me. I know he replied i don't want to give it to you but i know you'll bother me until i do the cycle never stops he looked disappointed in me so you can tell me about the drug i asked it's easier just to show you he said reaching under his bed and pulling out a massive syringe it was a foot long and the point of the needle was nearly a quarter inch thick. Holy... I began. Holy fuck, yeah, I know. JP interrupted. He handed it to me. Go into the next room and fill the needle from the third bucket. Make sure it's the third bucket. Entering the room, I saw five paint buckets filled with sludge-like fluid. I approached the third bucket and looked inside. Its contents were completely black. I dipped the massive syringe into the bucket and began to fill it. I had to carry the syringe back to JP's room with two arms. I handed it to JP. What is that stuff? I asked. That's what you came here for, JP replied, examining the syringe. "'But what's in it?' My voice shook. "'Every time I answer that, you don't believe me!' JP growled, peering up at me. "'Are you ready?' JP said, ushering me towards the mattress. "'I, I guess so.' I climbed onto the mattress and lay down on my back. The man stood over me and raised the syringe. I had never been more nervous in my life. I had never been more excited in my life either. JP hesitated. He looked disappointed in himself. I'm ready, man. Let's go, I said. <sighs> Whatever, JP replied. He thrust the massive needle point into my temple. It felt like my skull was expanding as the liquid filled my brain. I closed my eyes in pain, but I could still see copies of JP standing all around me, holding me down as the original JP emptied the last of the liquid into me. Suddenly, I feel like I'm falling. Then I land on my feet... Ahead of me is a fiery hellscape with piles of bones. I walk, even though I don't want to, and I notice it's my town. But where buildings once were, the rubble has taken its place. The sun is massive in the sky, and its heat is unbearable. I see only white when it collides with the earth. My eyes adjust immediately to the world around me. I'm in a trench holding a long rifle equipped with a bayonet. I hear explosions and gunshots all around me. A soldier climbs out of the trench and is immediately met with a hail of bullets. Red mist sprays into my eyes. When I wipe the blood out of my eyes, I'm sitting at a nice restaurant across from a beautiful woman she smiles at me. I smile back. Now I'm sitting in a chair in the hospital, tapping my foot nervously. A nurse comes out to tell me that the C-section was a success. I enter the room to see my beautiful baby boy being held by my wife. I feel my eyes well up with tears. I sniffle and wipe my eyes. When they open, I see myself in the third person. I'm slumped on the floor of my bedroom. There's a needle half full of heroin sticking out of my arm. My eyes rolled back in my head. I'm too high to notice the love of my life had overdosed and passed away in bed. I suddenly shoot back into my body, but I'm a child. I'm screaming and crying as I hear my father hitting my mother, knowing that I can do nothing about it. Next, I'm in the hospital again, sitting in that same chair outside the door next to my father. I'm scratching my bald head nervously as my dad tells me the same story repeatedly, about how my mother fell down the stairs, but we both know it's bullshit. I see my father on his deathbed. I'm shouting and swearing at him, telling him that he was never there for me and he killed my mother. He stares at me blankly. Now I'm the one on the deathbed. I'm staring blankly at a man I've never seen before, but inside I know he's my son. He's shouting and swearing at me that I was never there for him and I killed his mother. Suddenly, I switch places with my son and I'm staring at a deathbed of an older woman in it. I glance over and I see another man with a man. I stare at my great grandchildren with sadness, but they look back at me happy and fulfilled with life. A feeling I've never felt myself. Each time I blink, a layer of their skin is missing. They're slowly decaying right in front of me. I blink as slowly as possible, my eyes burning as I fight to keep them open. I see their muscles underneath their skin, and finally, they're both skeletons. I turn around to look out the window. Outside, I see space. I look down at myself, and I am in armor. It's bright white, and my helmet has a holographic display of my mission details, ammo count, etc. Suddenly, the floor under me opens, and I fall thousands of feet to the ground. I slam down to the ground without feeling as lasers fly past my head. I look to my right, and I see someone that looks like they got hit by one of these lasers vaporized instantly. Something flies by me at an impossible speed, and I fall. My helmet cracks, and my eyes are sucked out of my head from the air pressure. Now I'm floating in a dark void. There's no sound at all, and I have no thoughts. In the distance, I see a small bright ball slowly expanding, and then I hear a bang and everything goes dark. I am sitting alone at the table in my kitchen. Papers sit in front of me stating that a child protection agency has taken my son. I am filled with rage. I see my funeral. There are a few people there. No one is crying. JP shakes me awake. He says I need to eat. It has been days. He hands me a straw that leads to a bowl of soup. I suck on the straw. I stare up at the walls. Hands are poking out of the walls, tearing away at the wallpaper. The wallpaper is torn away, and multiple versions of me, all of the different ages, come out from the wall. Leaving a yellow stain where they came from. They line up in front of me, youngest to oldest. As I get older, I get sadder. My oldest self tells me I wasted my life and pulls out a knife and slits his wrists. My second oldest self does the same until I see toddler me drag a knife across his wrists. I look down at the floor. The room is filling with blood, but there's a drain plug at the bottom. The blood is up to my chin now and is rising quickly. I swim down to the bottom and pull the plug. An ECG machine rings, and I am holding the plug in my hand. I have torn it out of the wall and I turn my head to see myself in the bed. I am thanking myself. I sit upon my mattress with no sheets and vomit all over my long gray beard. I hear a knock at the door, and my roommate answers. I hear a faint conversation, and then I see myself walk through the doorway into my room. No! 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 I shout as soon as my younger self asks for my drug, but I was right. I bother and bother until I give in and give myself the drug. The cycle continues. I saw the death of everyone I love and ever will love. I saw the first world war and the last. I saw the end of the world and the beginning. I saw my sad life. And I can't change it. The cycle continues.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A N G I.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: You've been listening to The Cycle Continues by Josh Hill. Whew. Well, that was certainly something else. Why not go back in time and close it out PSA 90s style? Listeners, don't do drugs. And no, I don't mean the devil's lettuce. I mean the heavy stuff. Because this is your brain. And this is your brain on drugs. Our second tale of the evening brings us right back around to Jim Jones territory with, you guessed it, cults. So, as our brother Drew Blood says on his show, which airs every week on YouTube Friday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, smoke em if you got em and drink those glasses to. No, come on, I can't do another drink the Kool Aid joke, Natalie. Sheesh. I turned to the clock on my nightstand and, through the squints of my eyes in the darkness, I saw a green 3.04 staring back at me, blinking, 3.04 AM, black, 3.04 AM, black. It was an early Thursday morning and I was exhausted. Being an elementary school teacher, I had finished my day's hellish routine of tending to my kids' every whim. Everything about my day seemed to be a blur, a fleeting memory from long ago. From an early age, I wanted to be a teacher, spreading the good word of education to a group of eager, doe-eyed, ignorant schoolchildren, imparting them with knowledge of things they knew nothing about. It was almost a magical, transcendent thing. Despite the stress and the practically repetitive nature of it all, I loved my kids almost more than anything. Teaching was one of the last comforts since Elaine died. Since her death, I became severely depressed and fell into an abysmal state of anhedonia. I lost motivation to eat, drink, or sleep. In the days since her passing, I tried to take my mind off it, replacing it with work, my kids at school, or trying to bask in the memories of Elaine. Yet, nothing helped. I would lie awake most nights, staring into the darkness of our lonely bedroom. Even odder, I hadn't dreamed since Elaine passed. However, on that night something unexpected happened i closed my eyes and let out a deep sigh my eyelids felt heavy i could feel my body giving in to the temptress known as slumber as i slouched down and felt my frail fingers fall from the magazine i was reading i closed my eyes and then i saw nothing i recoiled my heart racing I felt like I had been shot. That's when I noticed. There was no bed below my body. I was standing upright in a mysterious colored fog, a deep green mucus-like mist. I found myself barefoot, upright in a cold snow-like substance scattered everywhere. It felt warm yet an odd gray color speckled with purple that disintegrated as I touched it. The air smelled of stale salt water and algae on a cold morning, like a creaky old dock. I felt a warm breeze beneath my torso and looked down, realizing I was standing in my same attire, pajama pants with no shirt. I felt an oily, sweaty matter, Appear on my chest. The moisture was wet and humid, disgusting, and crawled up my skin like a spider. In this place, time stood still, yet my imagination was racing. I closed my eyes as tightly as I could and pinched my forearm. I opened my eyes and again did not see my bedroom. No bed. No lamp, no dresser. There was nothing. I saw nothing, and that I was still there. I saw the same sight as before, the eerie green fog, and every inch of this place looming down on me. I was not in my familiar position on the left side of the bed. All I could do was look in bewilderment. I... A young 20-something school teacher could not conjure something like this up. As odd as it sounds, my mind could not create this place out of thin air. This place was far too complex and abstract from anything I could imagine. The clouds were shapeless. I couldn't make out any outlines. The clouds were forms I had never seen before with innumerable edges, yet curved and swirling. The sky was dark green, with streaks of red flowing throughout the overcast substance. I thought of the Aurora Borealis, but this Aurora was not of wondrous beauty, but instead filled with fear and an intense sense of dread. I walked forward in the mysterious substance. I took a couple of steps forward, seeing the light piercing the fog. A yellow light penetrated the mist in front of me. The mist felt humid as drops of a disgusting warm liquid slid down my face like a fat, juicy insect hitting a glass window, slowly moving downward and striking my bare feet. Curiously and cautiously, I walked towards it, arms outstretched even in the light pierced fog i could not see my hands in front of me as i exited the mist i noticed that i was above a large cavern on a plateau gray and purple speckled rocks lined the nearby mountain sides sloped downward protectors of the gargantuan cavern below below my gaze there was a gathering of people in a clearing at least 13 I felt almost relieved when I saw these figures in my dream because I thought this nightmare would end if I could talk to one of them I wanted to call out to them the group's mysterious presence seemed to beckon me I opened my mouth to call out to them but my words were cut short by what I saw next the people stood in a circle holding hands I studied them closer, and what attributes they had shook me to my core. Their flesh was torn in chunks from their bodies, and their hair ripped from their scalps. Men and women were dressed in the same garment, an oversized, hooded crimson cloak with a mysterious gold pattern. Around them, the fog seemed to rise to the sky above them. They stood, silent and unmoving. I peered from behind the rocks to see them raise their index fingers into the air, synchronized. In an instant, multiple red glowing beams of light shot into the sky, cracking the sky open with a thunderous roar. After this event, the men began chanting in a low, baritone groan that sent shivers down my spine. The language was ancient and resembled something otherworldly. Their mouths poured as they chanted creaks, groans, clicks, and guttural lyrics. Their singing never ceased, continually over and over, never stopping for so much as a breath. Their singing, or rather chanting, was almost eternal, as if they had been doing it for thousands of years. I studied the group of women closer. The women's heads were shaved, just as those of the men were. They chanted in unison, none of them missed a beat. The cluster of women's skins resembled a molded cheese, white, yellow, with a greenish hue protruding from their veins. Their pale skin looked disgusting in the lighting surrounding them. As my eyes scanned the people, what I saw broke my sanity. My heart sank into my stomach as I studied the row of women closer. On the far right was the love of my life, Elaine, standing in the same crimson attire as the others. She stood solemnly and recited with the others in the same monotone, odd language. At the mere sight of this plagued version of the love of my life, I wanted to scream and get her attention. Elaine's face was pale and emotionless, unlike her usual self. Elaine looked different than she did six years ago when I had last known her. Her arms were covered in strange scars and scratches. Elaine lifted her arms and continued chanting. I heard a loud animalistic roar rise from the fog behind me as she did so, which rattled the ground beneath my feet. A thousand knives were sharpened with a rusty tool, a dentist's shrapnel scraping up against freshly polished teeth. I felt every hair in my body stand on end at that moment. The individuals stopped chanting and they stood in silence, looking above them. My eyes focused on the sky above. The sky was no longer green, but a melancholy atrocity. The atmosphere was swirling into a color that I had never seen before. This color was beautiful, as I had never seen anything like it in any spectrum, yet terrifying for the same reasons. The color lingered in the air and the clouds dissipated. Then, black forms began to climb up the cliff. They resembled tar, slowly crawling up the rocks, slithering like snakes. As they reached the edge of the stones, they began to make their way towards me. These eyeless creatures, lifeless forms, were sentient. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. They moved like vines, seeping into every crevice of the rocky surface and consuming them. I wanted this to stop. This was a dream and nothing more. I tried to wake up. My mind began to race, and then the groaning grew louder, almost deafening. The past events circled in my head, and it was driving me insane. I just wanted to wake up, even if it meant I had to jump off the rocky cliff to my death. Then, the tendrils began to slither closer to me. Against my judgment, I ran into the thick fog, running as fast as possible. I stopped in my tracks and felt a firm grasp on my ankle. The slithering mess wrapped its grip and twisted until I fell to my knees from the pain. The crushing was unimaginable. My foot was clenched, and the thing squeezed every nerve until I was sure I would pass out. I started to scream as the pain constricted every nerve in my leg. I felt that my foot was going to snap off. I kicked and pleaded, but I lay in the fog alone, afraid and full of anguish. I yelled, begging for anyone to hear me. I tried grabbing the thing around my neck, but the touch felt like a hot furnace. It squealed an ear-piercing shriek like a kettle and wrapped tighter. I shouted and thrashed my foot in the air. The more I grasped at it, the more I hit it, and the angrier it got. It grabbed my leg in a vice grip, and then I woke up. In a flash, I blasted upright. My heart was pounding, and I found myself back in my bedroom. I was drenched in sweat, and my skin still felt cold, like the dew on the ground where I was in the dream. I looked over to Elaine's side of the bed and saw her stuffed elephant. I grasped it and held it to my chest, inhaling the sweet, intoxicating aroma of Elaine, the smell of her perfume. It was still on her pillow, though slowly fading away. As I got out of bed, I collapsed and hit the ground with a loud thud, landing on my knees. I noticed a sharp pain coming from my ankle. I grabbed the cord to the lamp during my fall, which caused it to fall to the floor in shards. I stood up, sat on the edge of the bed, and looked down at my leg. What I saw shocked me. It shook me to my core. The memories from the night's previous dream hit me like a softball to the skull. I shook my head, dumbfounded I couldn't believe what I was seeing there with a distinct purple hue was a bruise it was a bruise wrapped around the top of my foot in a perfect circle that day I tried to take my mind off Elaine the nightmare left me tired and on edge despite it being a dream I had to be crazy to think that the dream was genuine, but how do I explain the bruise on my ankle? Was it from the fall? I did my best to shake it off, it was Friday after all, which meant the weekend would be here soon. I just had to make it through the day. I hobbled to work and let the students have a bit of a free day. I bargained with them and said that if they could stay in their seats and keep the noise down. I would let them spend the rest of the afternoon watching a movie. The day went by fast, and before I knew it, the last bell rang. I gestured goodbye to my students, telling them to have a good weekend, though not as enthusiastically as I usually did. As I did so, something odd happened. I reached into my pocket for my keys and noticed they were gone. I looked all over my desk, drawers, the wastebasket, and the classroom floor. I looked under my desk and still I found nothing. I began to feel a sense of worry growing from my core. Where were my keys? I know I had them here. Mr. Hughes, sir? I turned around to see little Susie Oakley, a girl from my class. Susie was one of my favorite students. She never gave me any trouble and was always attentive. She stood smiling in front of me, like a hole in space, wearing a beautiful dress. It was the oddest dress I had ever seen. It was a lovely dark red dress with luscious gold patterns falling on the hem. The smile that stretched across her entire face complemented her golden hair.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out.
1: Go to ssa.gov extrahelp. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Susie held out my keys between her fingers. Looking for something? She giggled. I found them. Susie laughed and handed them over. They plopped into my hand, and I laughed along with her in disbelief. How did she get these? Never mind, it wasn't important. I probably looked silly, searching like a madman still on edge from some nightmare searching for his keys. I regained my composure. Thanks, Susie, my voice trembling and nervous still recoiling from my frantic search i think i'd lose my mind if i couldn't find these she smiled and headed towards the door suddenly she stopped and turned to me that's just like when you lost them at the beach house she blurted out remember in key west i was taken aback what did susie just say beach house key west Susie, what did you say? I said, have a nice weekend, Mr. Hughes. Her voice was like a precious bird's sweet melody. Susie waved to me once again. I gotta catch the bus, she called out to me. See you Monday. And before I could respond, she bolted out the door, laughing, catching up with a group of her friends, leaving me in the classroom alone. The beach house... The beach house in Key West? I never told that story to anyone. The only other person who knew that was Elaine. On our trip to Florida, I accidentally locked the keys inside our beach house. Did I hear things? Did I understand that right? How did Susie know that? That night, I went to the bar. It had been so long since my last drink. I wanted to get my mind off the day, trying to forget the odd incident with Susie. The dream. It was just one incident. You're just nervous from last night. Susie doesn't know. Nobody knows about that. Maybe you told your students a long time ago. Yeah, that must be it. I felt a vibration on the table in front of me. I picked up my phone and saw my wife's number. I knew that it was a telemarketer spoofing her number. I was going to be as vicious as possible. I had enough of people messing with me. What? My voice was full of annoyance. Hello, the chipper female voice said. We have been trying to reach you about your car insurance. Have you? I replied, silently making obscene gestures at the phone. Because we haven't heard from you, this is our last courtesy call before we close your account. Is it? To speak to a representative, press 1 now, the enthusiastic voice continued. Or, if you are unsatisfied, press 2 to be put on our do not call list. I opened up the keypad and pressed 2. A long pause followed a low bonk. The silence was interrupted and followed by another female voice, more monotone and drearier. I'm sorry, your call cannot be completed as dialed, as the phone number is no longer in service. Then, the voice whispered as if she was breathing into my ear. Elaine Hughes is gone. The voice continued, Elaine is gone, Elaine has left, she has gone away. He is waiting for you. Give yourself to him. He is waiting for you. Give yourself to him. He is waiting for you. He is waiting for you he is i hung up the phone and sat in silence at the bar when i returned home i was greeted with an empty house it was my favorite part of the day returning home turning on the lights by myself and staring into my foyer's abyss silent without my wife's voice calling out from the kitchen telling me the dinner would be ready in a jiffy I missed those nights more than anything. I missed Elaine's presence. I turned on the television to let the audio carry throughout the house. I went to the kitchen to make dinner, which now consisted of heating up leftovers. I shut the fridge and stared at all of our photos. I looked at a Polaroid of Elaine and me, sitting on the couch at our friend's house during a New Year's Eve party. Elaine was leaned over and kissing me on the cheek, wrapped around me. I was laughing with my eyes shut, looking quite goofy after a few beers and a couple of shots of Captain Morgan. I smiled for the first time in a long while. It was my favorite photo of us. A purple and orange tinted throwback photo using the Insta-camera she had gotten me for the previous Christmas. The more I studied the picture, the more I realized something strange. At that moment, I was enveloped in the eeriest sense of dread that I had ever experienced. A small detail so minuscule that were it not for the previous night or the day's events, I would have entirely paid it no mind. When did she get that tattoo? I looked at Elaine's arm. Her shirt was pulled up just enough to notice a thin bluish tattoo protruding from behind her sleeve. It had a round shape at the top and a long form that went down and disappeared behind her sleeve. It couldn't be. I told myself this repeatedly. It was just a flash, a fluke in the Polaroid. I looked at other photos in the kitchen. A picture of us at Matt's pool party us on spring break at the zoo and the tattoo appeared on her wrist in all of them in the five years we were together she never got a tattoo there's no way she had one absolutely no way this was impossible i had seen her nude before many times i had caressed every inch of her body and I knew that my wife didn't have a tattoo, without a doubt. This was not my mind playing tricks on me, not like the keys, not like the phone call in the bar. A tattoo on Laney's arm? No. And then I had a feeling, an otherworldly sensation like a chill from far away. In my head, I knew this slight feeling was from deep in the universe a now-off whisper that tickled my eardrums and made me aware of its presence. I felt my head becoming light and sensed an emotion of helplessness. At that moment, I knew that I would return to the dream place like I had visited the previous night. I don't know how I knew this or how I arrived at that conclusion, but this feeling nagged and tugged at me beckoning me to return. And if I didn't, it would drag me, kicking and screaming. I slid down the counter in our kitchen and placed my head between my knees. I wanted it to end. I wanted the pain to go away. I wanted Lainey here with me. I wanted her to hold me and tell me everything would be all right. I wanted to go on with my life. I crawled onto the floor and laid my head down. As I woke, I saw that I was in the same place as before. I knew it was the same place as I had stood the night before. The green sky, the smell of salt water, and that feeling of the unknown. I braced myself once more and hobbled on my one good foot, keeping close attention to where I stepped. I walked through the green mist for hours, keeping my hands in front of me. The air was so thick it was suffocating and piercing my throat with every breath. I coughed. Finally, I came to a clearing. A soft, pale figure stood and looked at the sky in front of her in the mist. Standing there was Elaine my love my sweetheart my everything i almost couldn't believe it i wanted to tell her everything about the dream last night the girl from my class the phone call the tattoo everything i ran up to her and hugged her tight just as i did the morning she died elaine what are you doing i thought i had lost you she looked at me with a blank expression I then remembered her arms. I took her arm and saw that pieces had been flayed from her skin. Her wrists were covered in scars, and parts of her bones were visible through the slits of torn flesh. Her arm was discolored, and grey veins protruded from her skinny, malnourished limbs. Spots of yellow, purple, and brown appeared along her arm, as if she had been struck thousands of times. Oh, baby, baby, what happened to your arm? I pulled her arm and noticed the tattoo on her wrist. Not by a delicate artist, the ink had not been set but branded by some jagged instrument. I saw tiny purple holes where someone had missed, puncturing her skin. The tattoo was of a crude outline of a man, like the one you would find on those men's bathroom signs. But the proportions were all wrong the man had a long torso extended arms and stretched out legs that made him appear taller than the average man his head was completely obscured i grabbed her arm and held her hand close to my face her skin was cold more bitter than frozen meat the touch was like a slab a crisp metallic sheet It was lifeless. I looked into her eyes and saw nothing left of her, mentally or physically. She watched as she did before. She looked hollow and devoid of any feeling. Everything about her was bare. She spoke with a monotone and slow pace. I am your humble servant and I give myself to you Elaine said without emotion the crawling chaos the God of a thousand forms I give my life to you she gave a name but one that I couldn't make out at that moment I was confused and angry not at her but at this place like during the previous night the more I remained here, the more I was slithering into agony. Elle, what are you talking about? Stop messing around with me. Let's go. I pulled on her arm, yet she remained rooted in the ground. It was like pulling on a chain-link fence. Laney, please, I begged. Please, let's just go home. I am your humble servant, and I give myself to you. She repeated in the same pattern. The crawling chaos, the god of a thousand forms, I give my life to you. Elaine grabbed my arm and made me let go. She never made eye contact with me directly. I saw my love, Elaine, retreat into the mist. The fog consumed her, leaving me alone. I called out to her, hoping against hope that she would come out of the haze and run to me with her arms outstretched. I stood there motionless, with only the buzzing air surrounding me. At that moment, I felt... dead. I felt every emotion leave my body. I collapsed onto the cold, rocky floor of this mysterious void. I was defeated then a tall shadowy figure formed from the sky above me the figure was at least eight feet tall and resembled a man his eyes were a deep color one that i can't describe it was hideous the thing's presence was immense the only description i can convey is that its aura the atmosphere surrounding him was timeless and unchanging. It was a being of unimaginable horror. The figure wore a long coat made from the nighttime sky. As it swayed in the breeze, the stars changed patterns. The thing wore a hat that covered his face, obscuring it, so only his eyes appeared from behind the wall of shadow. It wasn't Satan or the devil. No, this thing was far more terrible. The thing told me its name. Those five syllables sent a chill down my spine. Elaine's same name. It spoke to me. It spoke to me without opening its eyes mouth or any orifice on its body. As it spoke, I heard a short whisper, its yawning yet screeching voice that sounded like a piece of metal being scraped across a rock. Each syllable sounded like a hammer falling in an empty, lonely cave. As it spoke, it told me I needed it. It said that I would be its servant its messenger the thing told me to bring more people here to convince them to gather here in this location to overthrow their superiors there was so much resentment between it and another god things were coming to an end that the expiration of life as we know it was drawing closer and closer it told me how it would return to our reality create destruction, and unleash its final plan for this world. The thing told me that many had fallen, many worlds that once flourished were left in nothingness. The thing told me it had fed off the misery, on the suffering of others, and how it had destroyed entire civilizations, colonies of people across time. The thing prophesied that it would finally get its revenge on the human species, which the being called dead ignorant and stupid pink meat. As it continued speaking, I felt my sanity slip away. I felt my arms become weak. Every bone in my body began to rattle as the thing spoke its foul language to me. That grotesque and ugly, horrible thing that sat in the sky, which I won't describe further, said it was almost time to have my Elaine back, if I did what it wanted. My Elaine. The thing used those words. Your Elaine. It was a phrase that sent a shiver through my body. I asked the thing a question, a question which I should have requested from the start. Why? The thing told me that Elaine had prayed to it. In her dying breaths, she had given her soul to a deity that appeared to her. It allowed her life to continue, serving him in the afterlife. The thing told me that this was the last time I would see it that I should fulfill my end of the bargain. And if I didn't, the evil thing said, it would crush me and that I would never see Elaine again. I knew what I had to do. If it meant saving Elaine, I would submit myself to this being. I had plenty of family members and friends, all of whom would join me by choice or necessity the entity told me it preferred children and i should provide him with as many of them as possible it was for elaine i told myself all for her through the written word i hope to reach more people i've written my testament here i have found that the truth of what's beyond our reality is far more terrifying through my account the elements haunting the human species have never been depicted in their purest form with words or configuration. What lies beyond this world is an abstract plain inhabited by cruel creatures and unsettling beings, which slumber underneath lost cities and gargantuan summits. As a witness to this place and its elements, I feel that it's my job to put my experiences to paper even if not a single person listens to my pleas or records. Here, I write and pen this account in his name, the Messenger of the Outer Ones, the Faceless God, the God of a Thousand Forms, and the Crawling Chaos. I have joined him, and soon, you will too. You've been listening to The Nameless Cult by Nathaniel Grayson. Nathaniel Grayson is a current graduate student pursuing an MA in fiction. He's been a reader for Product Magazine and the Mississippi Review. His poetry has been recently featured in The Dewdrop and Liminal Spaces. Nathaniel currently lives in Hattiesburg, Mississippi with his dog, Daphne. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and I'll see you right here at this same time next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tale performed by, yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda, finalization by Craig Groschek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I do take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure that you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs-up button to let us know how we're doing, and leave a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far
0: more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.
1: Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us.
0: Just this overall sense of community, and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have.
1: It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids.
0: See what makes Minnesota the star of the north.